And I have the privilege of starting a new sermon series this morning, as you said, the Songs of Summer. So over the next few weeks, we are looking at a different song from the Bible each week. Now, the songs for some of us might not be readily apparent. Basically, where the Bible goes into kind of writing in columns rather than full pages, that is um, a, a form of poetry or song. Um, and so this week, I have picked the song of Deborah to do. Um, that's in Judges 5, so it's halfway through a book of the Bible early on that some of us may not be familiar with. So let's begin with a little bit of context. Allow me to briefly summarize the beginning of the Bible. Um, the Bible begins with creation, with God making the world and the first man and the first woman. Then comes the birth of the Jewish people through Abraham and the travels and the actions of the fathers of Israel, like Jacob and Joseph. And that is the book of Genesis. Uh, following that, you go through um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we see Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, where they've been slaves, to wander in the desert. And they receive God's law. They fight more than a few battles, and they moan an awful lot. After Moses dies, the Israelites begin the conquest of the promised land that God has told them they will have. Uh, that is the book of Joshua, which brings us to the, to the book of Judges. So that's where we are now. Um, they are in the promised land. They are in Israel. They have conquered it. God's people are living in God's land directly under God's authority. They do not have kings. They do, however, occasionally have someone that God sends to lead them called a judge. Now, the book of Judges follows cycles. Um, They start off living as God intended. God's people in God's land choosing to live under God's rule. And things generally when that's happening are good. But then they get complacent. They start worshipping idols. They would turn away from God and to other gods. So God would turn away from his people, and in turn, bad things would happen. They would be invaded, uh, and it would be pretty unpleasant. People would suffer. And then the people of Israel would cry out to God. And as a result, he would send a judge, and through that judge, he would save his people. They would live again as God's people in God's land under God's rule. But it wouldn't last They would go back again and again and again. That is a cycle of judges. Now, Deborah, who sings the song of Deborah, Judges 5, is the fourth judge. The people have turned back to idols again. The land is conquered by the Canaanites. The people are enslaved and live under Canaanite rule. Deborah is called as a judge after, once again, the people cry out to God. And um, Deborah, in turn, calls a man called Barak to lead the Lord's armies. Now, Barak doesn't feel confident that God is going to go with him, so he says to Deborah, look, can can you come along to the battles with me, and then I'll know that God is with me. And so she goes along, and they meet the Canaanites in battle. The Canaanites have 900 iron chariots, which doesn't mean much to you or me, but they are big, scary war machines of the age. They are the nuclear weapon equivalent. And the Israelites are on foot. There is no reason that the Israelites should win this battle, but by the grace of God, they do. They defeat the Canaanites and they drive them back. But their leader, a man called Sisera, escapes. And now if the leader escapes, he's just going to lead back another army. So they can't let that happen. So Barak pursues Sisera. 
And as he's pursuing Sisera, Sisera goes into hiding in the house of a woman called Jael. He just stops at this random house and says, he nips in and goes, um, can I stay? Can you hide me? And um, Jael says, yes, absolutely. I will provide you with a place to hide. She agrees. She puts him under a blanket. She gives him some warm milk. And he goes to sleep. And promptly, Jael gets a whacking great ten peg and smashes it through his head. And that is the end of the story of Deborah. Well, then, you know, peace pretends to land and all that. But that, that's the story of Deborah. In celebration of that great victory, Deborah and Barak sing this song, which summarizes what happened. And can I apologize for the size of the text on the sheets in front of you? It's only 30 verses. It looks like more, but it's, it's just very hard to fit it all onto one piece of paper. It says, On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villages in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. But not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villages in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captives, son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to, uh, to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, the captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were there with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the district of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling of the flocks? In the district of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. That repeats itself. Um, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came. They fought. The kings of Canaan fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought, and their co- uh, from their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. 
Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tents dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. There he lay. At her feet he sank. He fell. Dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man. Colourful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colourful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this as plunder. So may all your enemies perish, Lord. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. When the land had, then the land had peace for 40 years. So it gets quite dark at the end there. But what can we learn from this story? Well, before I get into that, shall we address the elephant in the room? This is a history, and in fact, an entire book of the Bible, where there is quite a lot of slaughter in the name of the Lord. And that presents a lot of issues to our 20th century sensibilities and, in fact, to our, um, what we believe about God as a loving God who over and over again in the Bible, he condemns murder and a lot of the other things that go hand in hand with war. Wiser men than me have written books and books on this and failed to fully explain it. Uh, So I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to give you a satisfactory answer in one paragraph today. Um, But just for now, my brief explanation of what I've been studying in Judges would be this. They were not living in a full understanding of salvation as we have today. They were in a pre-Christ world. And we know now that because Jesus died on that cross 2,000 years ago, we can be forgiven for our sins and live an eternal life with him if we repent and turn to him. In a time before that sacrifice, when life could be a lot more brutal in lots of ways, it is clear from the Bible that there was a certain amount of physical judgment for sin breaking into the world in a uh, pre-Christian era. Now, in the light of Christ, we believe that we live in a time of judgment forestalled. We don't take vengeance on our enemies. The Bible is clear. We are to live out Christ's grace and his forgiveness to our enemies and to leave vengeance to the Lord. That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, If you'd like to read more into it yourself, I found that Judges for You by Tim Keller was incredibly helpful on this. Uh, Again, it is not the ultimate answer. I don't think any one book is going to give you that, but hopefully um, you you, you can find an answer that satisfies you through um, sufficient looking into it. So, back to this passage. Um, To start with, this is a passage filled 
with the greatness of the Lord, isn't it? Um, it is a song of praise to the Lord. Again and again in the passage, Deborah cries out in praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord, she says in verses 2, 3, and 9. They recite the victories of the Lord, verse 10. And the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, verses 4 and 5. It is apparent that our God is a great God. Deborah is very keen to remind us how great our God is. He has just given her a huge victory, a victory that simply would not have been possible in her own strength. And so she praises God for his greatness. Now, we don't, in comfortable Clapham, I think, have many invading armies to deal with. Although I have to say, living on the north side of the common, every summer we do get hordes coming through that station, charging onto the common to listen to incredibly loud bands pouring out music. And sometimes I sort of wish they'd be defeated. But um, we, we don't have that to deal with here. However, through Jesus, we do have a victory delivered to us, which we could certainly not have managed on our own. You see, Jesus is actually the judge for all time. This cycle of judges, it foreshadows Christ's coming. We all at some point in our lives, I hope we know, have turned away from God in some way, just like the Israelites. In verse 8, in almost every version except the NIV, um, which is the one I've used today, the Bible actually translates the phrase, God chose new leaders, as the people chose new gods. They had chosen gods for themselves who were not the living God. And often we choose other gods. Maybe we worship ourselves in some way. Maybe we worship our own pleasure and enjoyment. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's rationality and science. There are loads of other things that we choose to worship sometimes. But none of these are bad things until we put them in God's place. But like the Israelites, we suffer in this life if we turn away from God. But here's the difference. If we choose to turn to God and cry out for his help, we can be forgiven for everything through Jesus, the ultimate judge. And unlike Deborah or Gideon or Japheth or any of the other judges in the book of Judges, Jesus is always going to be there. There's never going to be a time after Jesus when we don't have a judge in heaven anymore. He will never leave. The cycle is, in fact, broken. So we actually have a victory connected to, but far greater than the one that Deborah experienced. Because it's eternal, and it's achieved so much more. And can I say to anybody here who hasn't experienced a relationship with Christ yet, today is a great day to start. It's not something you will ever regret. So where this has challenged me in my planning is that I don't think I give nearly enough praise to God, either for that one victory the great one, or for the things he does for me every day. When I struggle to pay my rent or my tax bill um, because I'm self-employed, or when I um, am just grateful that I finally managed to catch that bus, or when any other good things happen, I, I, I don't think I raise more than a thanks, Lord. I don't think I ever do so much as to stream out an entire song of praise to the Lord for how good he is. And I think uh, if you're like me, I thoroughly recommend taking a lesson of Deborah and turning around and actually uh, learning to praise God better because I think it's enriched my life over the last week when I've been learning to do it. It will enrich the rest of your life. The other theme of this song is a little bit more subtle, but nevertheless, it does run right the way through. Uh, Deborah compares two groups of people in this song who are only mentioned briefly in chapter four where the story is told in full. 
She talks about the people who willingly give themselves in verse 2. And the willing volunteers in verse 9. She praises the tribes of Ephraim, Benjamin, Zebulun and Issachar who all turn out to follow God in the work that he'd set out for them. That is one group. The tribes that willingly put themselves beneath the Lord. They get up and they go out when God calls. Then there's the other group. The tribes of Reuben, Gilead, Asher and Dan who do not come out. Deborah curses the city of Meroz who also don't come out. These people, for one reason or another, they don't submit themselves to God and fight for the people of Israel. So, we have those who come when the Lord calls and those who do not. Deborah is full of praise for those who come and full of scorn for those who do not. And I wonder why those who don't come, don't come. It's certainly not that they don't hear the call. It says there is much searching of heart in Reuben. So they were certainly thinking about it, but they don't come. Perhaps that's it. Perhaps they were so consumed with thinking, gosh, is this what God wants? That actually they didn't get up and do what God wanted. The tribe of Dan lingered. Now it's not clear. Is that laziness? Were they too comfortable where they were? Were they settled next to those rivers? The city of Meroz is singled out for not helping the Lord against the mighty. Were they perhaps held back by fear of the mighty? Now ultimately we don't actually know exactly why these tribes of Israel chose not to come out. But we can have a stab at thinking about what can hold us back from following God and make sure that we are daily turning to him so that when he calls actually we are ready to answer. So number one. We could be overthinking, like the tribes of Reuben. I cannot count the number of times that I have walked past someone in the street, and by the time I've gone through the process, questioning God, whether God is actually telling me to pray for them, or whether he's actually got a word for me, or whether he's actually asking me to buy the big issue today, or whether he's actually asking me to intervene in that incident or help that person that I've seen collapse. Actually, by the time I've worked that out, I am well past it, long gone, and I go, oh, well, too late to deal with that. Now, obviously, there are many situations that are not so simple. There are many situations, actually, where we need to think deeply and carefully before we act. Uh, And that's right and proper under the Lord. But actually, God has laid out his expectations of daily living to us quite clearly in the Bible. Actually, more often than not, what he wants us to do is clear to us before the situation arises. It's always right to offer to pray to someone. If someone asks for our coat... We're to give them our shirt as well. That's all laid out there for us in the Bible. God calls us to act. So I think the challenge here is that rather than overthinking, acting in God's name is the right thing to do. Let us take the lead in doing God's work. Number two, comfort. God, it's great living in Clapham, isn't it? There's a common right there. It's so comfortable. We have lots of nice things on our doorstep. There's Northcote Road for shopping. There's the High Street with all its great places to eat. Lots of those of us who can afford to live here can probably, we can get away a couple of times a year maybe to another country. Um, We can afford to have a big house maybe. We can afford um, to provide for a big family. You know, I've realised actually that some days I can avoid going more than 500 metres from my house in Clapham because everything is right there and it's so comfortable and easy for me here. I don't even think about it. 
thing about comfort, though, is that it is pretty good at taking away our motivation to actually do anything uncomfortable. Comfort can become an idol, and I think, actually, in some ways, one of the most insidious. I don't think that Jesus promises us comfort. He promises persecution. He asks us to take up our cross and walk. He asks single people to be celibate. He asks husbands and wives to submit to one another. He asks the rich not to hold their wealth tightly. And he asks all of us always to put his kingdom first. Now, often that's going to mean pulling ourselves out of our comfort zone and doing something that is hard and perhaps that we don't want to do. Perhaps something that will take away our comfort. And I think we've actually got to watch ourselves because I know that in me this happens. You settle into comfort. You settle into this space and you become actually quite keen to protect that comfort. And you put resources perhaps that should be used for forging God's kingdom into protecting your comfort, which goes in exactly the opposite direction. We need to make sure that we actually aren't comfortable, but actually that we wake up and arise like Deborah. Number three, fear. Jesus will undoubtedly ask things of us that are dangerous or scary or dangerous and scary. Uh, I remember years ago, I thought that Jesus was asking me to become a youth minister, and I thought he wanted me to be paid to do it. So I uh, lined up a course, I lined up a, uh, a training program, and I went out to find a placement. And it, this was in Bristol, and I looked at two placements. I can't remember where, where the first one was, uh, but the second was in this place called Knoll West, which at the time was one of the most deprived areas of the country. And um, the teenagers in Knoll West were... For want of a better term, I'm going to call them scary. And I knew what I wanted to do. This other church was a nice middle-class church with teenagers who you would consider not so scary. And I thought, right, well, I, I know what kind of a teenager I was. I know who I find easier to relate to. I know where I want to go. I definitely don't want to work with scary teenagers. But then I went to the interview at this other um, nice middle-of-the-road church. And the vicar there prayed with me. And I can't remember the context. I can't remember why he brought it up. But he prayed something about the wide and the narrow gate. And as I was walking home from that interview, I remember praying and hearing God very clearly speaking to me through that verse. And I realized that for me, the narrow gate was very obviously Noel West and the scary teenagers. And I did not want to go to the scary teenagers one bit. But I, I, I was in that, that situation obedient, praise the Lord, and I did go, and actually I, in the end, didn't end up getting a job there, but for a number of very good reasons, it was absolutely the right thing to do, and going through the interview process and getting to know those people was absolutely the right thing under God, but it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, but God is going to ask us to do things that are scary. Um, we must absolutely not be held back by fear. We must willingly offer ourselves. So unlike the Israelites, we are not generally faced with one big decision to go to war uh, or not. But we are faced with hundreds of small ones every day uh, as to whether we live for God. We're also faced with larger decisions over and over again about how we use things like our wealth, our gifts and our time. How much of our money do we give away perhaps? Where do we give it away? What do we do with the rest of it? Do we use our gifts and talents in a job in the city where we can share our faith with others 
Or do we use them for a job in a charity where we can do good in other ways? Or do we work for a church where we can pour directly into, you know, a more kind of obvious expression of, of our faith? Which of those do we do? When the moment comes, do we share our faith with our colleagues? How do we share our faith with our colleagues? There's no right or wrong answer to many of those questions. But actually, are we turning them over to God? And are we seeing what he wants to do? And if he wants to do something scary or something that drags us out of our comfort zone? In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is the same encouragement that Deborah raises for us today. Not to be held back by overthinking, comfort or fear, but to take the lead, to arise and offer ourselves willingly to the Lord this morning.